Welcome back to Stat Chat, Dishing It with D. Klatz. This is Dave Klatsky. Today's guest is Sue Bird. We take a slight turn from the first two guests and bring in Sue, who is a player. And I think in the advanced statistics conversation, it's really important to get the perspective of a player because at the end of the day, the goal is to perform at the highest level you can perform. And getting that message across to your players is so important. So I wanted to talk to Sue and, and hear her perspective on what she's learned over the years, what she can handle, what her teammates can handle, and go from there. Uh, Sue has been such a pioneer in women's sports and, and women in general uh, that it's often overlooked how successful she's been as a player. Now, Sue gets it. She's a very smart individual. She's been on advanced statistics panels. She's been to Sloan. Um, so anytime you can pick the brain of someone that's had this much success, you have to do it. And while I had her, we tangent to what I think could be the next big wave after advanced statistics, and that's how you treat your body, what you put into your body, how you treat it after injuries, how you treat it during injuries, how much sleep are you getting. So I, I found this all pretty fascinating to hear from someone that has had the long career that Sue has had. Um, so I hope you do as well. As always, let me know what you think. And... Uh, Let's do it. Here we go. Well, we got a big one tonight, folks. Uh, I am honored and excited to welcome uh, our next guest here. I am going to start with her bio, which I have to pick and choose what to say because there are so many things that I'm going to have to pick the highlights or it would take the time of the entire show. So starting off, she is a two-time WNBA champion, nine-time WNBA All-Star three-time Olympic gold medalist, number one overall pick in 2002 with the Seattle Storm, two-time NCAA champion. And it doesn't have it on her bio here, but she also knows the lyric to every song she's ever heard. So with that, I welcome Sue. How are you doing over there, Sue? I'm doing great. Um, I feel like, you know, I don't know if I should let this slip by, but you messed up on my bio. <laughs> what, what did I screw up? You said three-time Olympic gold medalist. Usually I'm not picky about these things, but. Oh, my God. They have not updated your, <laughs> your storm bio to include the 2016 Olympic gold medalist. Four-time Olympic gold medalist. That is, that only, is awesome. Only because it's you, Dave. Only because it's you. Wow. I'm not letting that slide. Well, you better tell your uh, information director over there at the storm <laughs> to fix up that, that site there. That uh, is a big mistake. All right. No, all right. I'm totally well, joking. Well, it's good to have you. We will jump right in here. Um, I would like to hear from you, and we can, we'll get into more detail about the, the track of when you started. But for now, what are your what is your organization and your team, how do they use advanced statistics now? Um, well, first and foremost, I'll start by saying that, you know, the WNBA just doesn't have the same resources as the NBA. Um, with that, my team does have a coach that puts a lot of emphasis on these stats and really likes to study the game from that perspective. So it's, it's a little bit of a, of a tough, you know, balancing act with that because it's just not, there's just not as much information, but with what we do have, um, you know, like I said, our coach really tries to, to plan our, you know, our offensive model, our defensive model off of stats and, and percentages. Um, so, I mean, Everything from, you know, why do we ice side ball, you know, side pick and rolls? Because, you know, percentages show that's the best way to do it. And that's usually based on NBA numbers, but stuff like that kind of goes across the board. Um, are, are most of the WNBA teams now icing ball trains? Oh, yeah. I mean, that that's icing's been a part of our league probably just as long as the NBA. Um, there is a little bit of a trend where the NBA will do something, then we'll kind of follow suit. But... I have to be honest. I, we were even icing in college, so that's not that's not something that's new. That's that's definitely something that uh, you know we've, we've been using. And 
Yeah. And again, it, for that particular scheme, it definitely comes down to numbers. Numbers just show that teams are less likely to score, less li- likely to be effective if you force them away from that pick and roll. And are, are, are those numbers, do you guys have people that track that for you guys, or is that more NBA info that your general um, or your, your offices have access to because of, of who they are? Right. Well, I think for that specific thing, it's more – you're not really tracking it. It's more of, okay, numbers and research has shown this is the best pick-and-roll scheme on the side. We trust that. So it's not like – I'm pretty sure it's just – like I said, it's trusted, so we do it. I don't even know that they actually track it. We just know we're better in pick-and-rolls when we do that. You know what I mean? Yeah, that, that's actually a good segue into – so – um, most of the people I'm going to have on this show or I've already had are coaches. So uh-huh. from this side of it, you know, obviously as a coach, you you learn way more information that you're going to give to your players. Oh, now, yeah. you are a veteran and you've been in the league a while and you are one of the smartest players in the league. Like how much – we've talked about this. But you can obviously process more than a rookie oh, no, that absolutely. you know might not know what she's doing. Um how how much do they give you in the you know okay we're gonna ice ball screens because it shows like how how much yeah. are they giving you in terms of the numbers or is it just like a trust factor? No, well you basically answered the the question. Um, I think there's a difference between myself, other people, other players in the league who are similar to myself, whether it be you know they're thinking the game or they're just a veteran versus you know other players. Um, there's definitely like the numbers, how you're gonna use them, and then the translation to the players, which is probably the biggest component the key component to this entire thing um because a lot of people you know a lot of people can't handle it that's just the reality you know everybody's threshold for all of this information is different i personally it it, the more the merrier it doesn't bother me it doesn't it you know it kind of it just is what it is so i know that ice thing because my coach told me that but no when we're in practice she doesn't necessarily say hey guys studies show Numbers say it's not like that. Right. She's just saying right. we're icing pick and rolls, and everyone's like, okay. You know, right. um, there are some things like, you know, true shooting percentage, or for us a big number we, we use is um, uh, rebounding percentage, defensive rebounding percentage, you know, versus just yep. how many defensive rebounds did you get or how many offensive rebounds did you give up. So those those are things that she'll she'll talk to us more about and we're a little more aware of in terms of what the actual number means but otherwise when it comes to the decisions that are being made you know that's more of like a reflection on our game those numbers I just mentioned but when it comes to why we're doing stuff she doesn't necessarily go into much detail with the team Um, right right it's just a lot of times it doesn't even matter just tell them what to do and hopefully they do it you know are, are they I guess we can now transition into you know from the beginning, so you started you started playing in the, in the pros in your college career um, at a time when advanced statistics weren't really prevalent. Right. And yeah. now, of course, they're very prevalent. Whether you know at our level or even the Division three or college, like some of the smaller colleges, that you don't have all the the army of people giving you the numbers, but you know, like like it's now known, you know, the mid range shot is not as valuable and. And the post-up right. game is not as valuable. How, how is mm-hmm. it? How have you seen your coach's style and what you guys are actually running change from when you started, or what they're emphasizing from when you started to to now? Well, it's totally different, you know. And it's I think it's just stats are, are a big part of that, but it's also just evolution of the game. Um, you know, women's basketball, even though you know, we're sitting here today, the WNBA is about to start its 21st season. Yeah, in 21 years, like in our little life, seems like a lot. But in the grand scheme, it's really not that many years. And so we've had to really go from this, like, extension of college, whether it was whether you're talking about the rules, um, the style of play, and had to kind of evolve into an actual professional game. And now that's definitely where we are now. But, um, you know, 16 years ago, when I first started, um, it wasn't like that. It was very much, you know, defensive schemes were limited, you know, remedial in a lot of ways, you know, regarding this pick and roll like that, that pick and roll like this, see you guys later, good luck, you know. Or right, regarding right. this down screen, if it was a shooter, we chased. If it wasn't a shooter, you shot the gap. 
you know, not looking at that specific person in detail at all. And as it moved on, you know, I've played for one, two, three, four coaches. And, you know, with each one, the first one was just one year. Then my second coach was five years, Ann Donovan. Third coach, Brian Agler, he was for six. And then now Jenny Busek. And so with each coach came this new style. And it really started with Brian, where our particular pick-and-roll defenses got really, really intricate. I mean, we're talking, like, when – X player has the ball and it's a screen is set by Y player, you're doing this. But if X player has the ball and it's W player, you're doing that. If it's on the left, we're doing this. If it's on the right, I mean, really, really intricate. And we had the personnel to handle that. Um, and so it, how do you guys has pra- How would you practice that? Like, like one of the things we struggle with uh, on our staff is, and we have really smart guys, yeah. but how, how do you practice that? Because we struggle, you know, Guarding the pick and roll one way, we struggle with it, and that's all we yeah. do. We practice it every day. Your teammates are able to pick that up, like in the in the in the scope of the game where things are happening so quickly. Like who's in yeah. the pick and roll and, and how to guard it. Is, how, yeah. how, do you, how do they do that? Um, I mean, I think it just started with you just kind of put it into play. You practiced it. The more comfortable and familiar we got with it, which took a little time. Um, and, and the more success we had with it, we then bought in. And I think just like anything, once you buy in, you can get it done. You know, and one of the things that at that time Brian Agler would say, um, my my current coach, Jenny Busek, says it now. It's like literally, especially in pick and roll defense, you're either finding a way to get it done or you're finding a way not to. You know what I mean? Like, right. Oh, yeah. No matter what the scheme is, you're either – even if you do it wrong, you know if you do it hard, you're probably going to be fine. So – I think with that, again, we had the right personnel. And there were times where we made mistakes, but we had the right personnel to understand, like, even if you do it wrong, just do it hard, and it'll be fine. But for the most part, I mean, we were able to do it and pick it up. Communication is the key when it comes to that type of thing. You really have to have a team that can communicate and talk. And then, full circle here, you got to be able to translate it. you got to be able to have a simple way of saying, this is what we're doing with this player and that player and almost like group them. You can, you can, I mean, it's too hard to, to, to give a real life example because I need like the players and stuff, but you can translate it in a way that someone can digest it, I think. Right, right. And, and I guess that like getting back to your playing hard and that's kind of, kind of the thing that we're trying to figure out here, right? Like we're trying to quantify the things that aren't quantifiable. So, yes. like, I'm going to use you as an example because, you know, going back to when we first met and uh, and we asked what your occupation was, and you said, I work for the WNBA. And we were like, <laughs> we clearly knew who you were. We were like, what does that mean? You're like, oh, I play. <laughs> well, like, we knew what you were talking about. So going all the way back to those days when we find, when we got on the court and, and played, and, and uh, I think in watching you, and I haven't got a chance to get on the court with you since those days, but – one thing that was evident in playing and watching you over the years, you are an absolute killer. So everyone off the court will talk about how great you are, how nice you are, and, and how, how sweet you are. But on the court, you are an absolute killer. Like, how can we measure that? What What is it that you do that can be measured? Like, what What does that mean to be a killer? Like, what, the, is it loose balls? Is it like, what, what? Can you? Talk a little bit about what you, like what you feel when you're out there and what you get done that you don't think some other people may be able to get done. I mean, I don't know how you quantify that. I think it's the eye test, 100%. You know, when you're watching a game, you just know. You can see it in somebody. I think as we move forward with all of this, the better question will be how do you teach somebody if they don't mm. have it? You know, they have the skill. They have the talent. How do you get them to be that quote-unquote killer? Um, you know, and it's obviously it's it, – kind of manifests itself in different ways for different players. Because I'm, I'm really not the player that's getting the loose balls. I'm not the player, particularly anymore, i got to be honest. I'm not diving <laughs> on the floor all that much. Like, it just takes too long to get up. But um, I think for me, at a very early age, I mean, every family story that I could tell you has, in some way, shape, or form, has something to do with me, you know, being competitive and wanting to win. And obviously, when you're a little kid, it's usually, you know, you're a sore loser. And so there's tons of stories where I'm, like, throwing things and having fits because I lost. And that was just the way it was. I mean, that was just how um, how I was raised, how I grew up, how probably how I was born. So I think, you know, you know it when you see it. 
in, in, in players. And, and sometimes it's, it's, it's that, that trait that could get a less talented player into the WNBA. And it's the lack of that trait that can get a very talented player waived and cut from a team. You know, I've seen it go both ways. And I think, so I think, the, I really think the better question is how do you get someone who's not like that to be that way? And what is your opinion on that? Can it be done? Can, it's tough. Can I you mean, find that? Yeah, it's tough. The one, I mean, I think it can be done um, in in a group, like a collective group where there's some that have it, some that don't. And as a team, you can have that. Um, I actually saw it with my team last year. The WNBA takes this Olympic break, you know, every time there's an Olympic year where we pause right. for like a month, month and a half. And so all the Olympians leave, and then you kind of return to your team, and it's this brand new team. It's happened every single time. And this this past year, my team went from, like, this, like, young, kind of timid to all of a sudden they were, like, getting down and dirty. And I know it was because they, for a month and a half, just got after it. And so I think you can you can kind of drill it and put teams in impossible situations and make them – force them to succeed. But in just one individual, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I'd have to like. I'd have to think about that. Yeah, it's almost it's almost a little contagious, and, and uh, like you said, I don't know if you can go from a zero to a ten, you know, right. killer level. But if you're around other people that are competitive and will win at all costs, I think it can it can rub off on them. Um, oh yeah, absolutely, but, absolutely. I think um, just real quick, one of the things that it just came to me. This is what my college experience was like. You know, it was very much a mental challenge, you know, more so than anything else. Um, and it was, it came down to putting teams, players in impossible situations and not listening to any of the excuses and not caring and making them get it done. And the more you did that, um, the more confidence you had in yourself. And with that came a killer. Now, like I said, the killer comes in all shapes and sizes. So all forms really. So. It doesn't have to be just someone out there being like, oh, grabbing every rebound. It can be just, you know, hitting the dagger shot or, you know, I don't know, locking down somebody, that one possession you need to. So, I don't know. And and that's where I want to try and figure out, like, how to measure that. It's, I know it's tough, but, like, can can we find way, some way to measure it where, like, okay, here's possession X where somebody just scored three in a row can we measure who's guarding them and do they let them get a shot off the fourth possession? Like these things, to me, advanced statistics is about measuring the unmeasurable. And and like, yeah. what can we do? Is that something we can do, or do you, you know try to come back to that? Because uh, I think that's one of the things right now. Or maybe it's an, and I don't know. Do you guys do you guys have wearables that you're using that can measure your um, heart rate yeah. in, a, in a situation? Wear, or? Yeah. Well, I, I'm currently wearing a Whoop, so I've been wearing it for the last couple of months. Um, but we, our wearable situation is similar to the NBA's. We can't wear anything that you can see. You can wear like the catapult thing because it's under the jersey. But I don't What's know. That? What's the catapult? catapult thing? Yeah. That's more. That's more for conditioning, I think. I, I mean, I'm pretty sure it does your heart rate. But okay. um, all of these devices are generally for like they want to know what you're doing in your workouts, what you're doing in your practices, what. For the Whoop, it's very much centered on sleep, so it monitors your sleep, and it'll tell you, based on what you did that day, how much sleep you need to fully recover, yada, yada. Um, but it does track your heart rate, so in a heated moment, I mean, it would know. But I don't, I mean, I, you know, some people have it, some people don't. I think that's just the reality. I don't know that, and I don't even, I feel like the question of measuring, I guess, maybe from, because you're a college coach, so maybe you wish you could measure and know ahead of time before you even recruit a kid, if it's even, you know, worth it, so to speak. I feel like at my level, it's kind of like, at that point, the proof's in the pudding. They've either done it or they haven't. You know what I mean? So that's yeah, why I'm I think, on the teaching part. I think for us as college coaches in recruiting mainly, we are we have a limited amount of time to make decisions and, and a limited amount of time to form a relationship and during yeah. this time, it's our job to find out as much about somebody as possible. And the, mm -hmm. the question you're always trying to find out is, is this person gonna, gonna be the, the competitive force of nature that you want them to be? Because yeah. as you know, your upside is gonna be higher if you can get to these levels 
So, yeah, for us as college coaches, we're constantly trying to find ways to measure, you know, whether it's talking to everybody involved with the kid or whether it's seeing them in a situation over and over and over again, which is it's just hard to do as a college coach because you're limited in the amount of recruitments and contacts that, that you can have. Whereas at your level, you know, you get a how many game season and practice, uh, so you're gonna you're gonna know, like you said, um, yeah. whether they're just talented or whether they can actually, you know, get to that next level because they have this this something in them that we we can't really measure. Um, right. So that, that's yeah. kind of our from our side of it. Um, but getting back to yeah. college, because I think uh, this will this will be interesting to hear. And it's been probably 20 years since you've been there, but obviously Gino, absolute legend. What mm-hmm. what is you know you talked about putting you guys in, in impossible situations and see how you would react. But what yeah. is his take on, or what was his take on numbers and stats, and, <laughs> and does he use them, or is he old school where he just his intuition is correct and he doesn't use them? Yeah. Um, well, first and foremost, it, it, this is a tough conversation. Um, as it pertains to him, because his intuition is what makes him great. His intuition is what separates him. Um, there's no, there's no way around it, you know. Because everyone, you know, obviously the big argument is that oh, well, UConn, of course they're going to win. They have all the best players. And you know, the flip side of that is, and, and first all, I will own he does get majority of the great players. But every year there's 20 McDonald's All Americans. Yeah. He's not getting 20. You know what I mean? Yeah. So other yeah. schools have these great players. And, and really what separates what he does from everyone else has, in large part, has to do with his intuition and his ability to read people, his ability to get the most out of them. That's his gift. So the reason why it's tough is I don't know. I think he does pay attention to the numbers. I think he's a basketball fan. You know, I think he's, yeah. like, aware of what's going on in the world of basketball. He watches WNBA. He watches NBA. He's understanding of it. And I think he does incorporate some things like you know we all know threes and layups you know don't shoot the <laughs> and you know you want to get threes layups and free throws or whatever he's aware of that he's aware of that do i think he designs his you know his offenses and defenses based around it i don't know i can't i actually can't tell you with certainty because i'm i'm just not around um i do know he pays attention but i don't know if he's really changing much because at the end of the day it is his intuition that separates him. And so he's going to hang his hat on that a billion times out of a billion. That's just that's just the reality of the world he lives in. Now, his yeah. world is much different probably from yours, 100% from mine, in terms of what he is working with, who he's competing against, what the, you know, the whole landscape. Like a WNBA team, you can't rely just on your intuition. Other teams are just too good. Yeah. Other teams are just too good. You have to, like, I can't just, you know, I don't know, go out there and try to guard Maya Moore or Diana Tarazi based on that. I have to know certain things about what play is coming, you know, why they're running this play, how to guard it, what are we willing to give up, playing the percentages. All right, she catches it, Maya Moore catches it, or somebody else catches it. I'm just going to run at Maya Moore because whoever that is, they could be the second best player on the team, but I'd still rather them shoot it than Maya. You know right. what I mean? Right. And how how much of that, like getting back to threes, layups, free throws, like I think that's mm-hmm. pretty – you know, in the advanced stats world, everybody knows that now, right? But yeah, now, yeah. in the execution of it, like, what are you guys running, or what is like, how are you taking advantage offensively first on um, being able to get those shots and plays? Is there anything well, X and O wise that yeah. you feel like has changed that now you guys do that uh, is different from what you were doing 15 years ago? Um, I, I'm not sure. I can, I can. See say that our defense has definitely changed what we're okay, willing to do how so okay we can go back to offense in a minute but oh we 100 percent are talking like plain as day we want to give up long contested twos we do not want to give up layups we do not want to give up uncontested threes a contested three is not amazing either but you'd, you'd rather run them off the line and make them take a long contested two. That is like a mantra in our locker room. We are talking about that really? constantly. M- meaning like yeah. your closeouts, like when you guys practice closeouts, well, when the team practice closeouts, we know you're not practicing much anymore, but when the team <laughs> practices closeouts, they are, like you guys are instructed to like basically run past the shooter. No, 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 no. 
no, 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 no. Don't, yeah, don't get me wrong. It's not that. I'm just saying, you know, there are times in games where you're so late. You have like zero chance of, yeah. of getting there where you just try to run them off. Maybe, you know, no, but in practice, right. it's, it's, it's the same thing. It's, you know, but it's the same thing. You're trying to get there, close out so they can't shoot a three and then you're trying to force them to put it down, but then you're not trying to get beat. It's the same thing. But I okay. will say a lot okay. of what we do, some of our drills will be, or not drills, but even five on five, they'll be, um, the scoring will be like a little different. Like if, okay, so we do one drill where you have to get like three stops in a row, but they can't even touch the paint. They cannot set foot in the paint. The only way she'll kind of like let it slide is if you're guarding somebody and they dribble, you know, when they'll, they'll drive baseline, but kind of behind the basket. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So they're yeah. not really they're not really making a play that at the rim. Count. That doesn't count she'll, as a piece. Yeah. Every now and then, she'll let that slide. If it's just a situation where you're there, you're with them, they just went and dribbled all the way to the other side. But for the most part, they can't set foot in the paint. And and that is geared around, you know, long contested twos, long contested twos. Right. And, and will you guys, do they track that? Like, that's something that, you know, I've talked about before, but I track contested catch-and-shoot threes versus, you know, off-the-dribble threes that are contested oh, yeah. and not contested. Those are the four things. That, so those are things that you will have your staff, uh, like you might come in after the game and be like, we we did a great job. They Even though they made four long twos, we forced them into four long twos in this in this period or something like that. Or is that, is that not something um, they'll share with you guys? Yeah, no, they don't share that. I'm sure it's going on behind the scenes. I'm sure they're very aware. Um, you know, we only really get the numbers on stuff when it's super bad, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like when it's really bad and it's like, guys, you gave up, you know, they just made 13 threes in the first half, you know? Yeah. We'll, we'll get yeah. it with that. But not, you know, usually they, they you know, we still chart, you know, we want to have less than 12 turnovers a game. We want to get like 30 plus deflections, you know, they, they'll tell us those kind, kinds of numbers. But um, but generally we all know long contested twos. As it as it plays out, it's hard to say how it plays out in offense because we're definitely not the Houston Rockets. We're aware, you know, we know we want to get open threes. I will say this: yeah. um, we shoot a lot of threes. I can't remember, but we were either—I don't know if we were number one in percentage or number one in makes, but we were up there in all, even in takes. We were up there in all three categories um, last last season, and it's something that you know we we talk about and we want to get, you know, we want to get as many threes as possible. So, so the emphasis is that as a player, you're, you're hearing the emphasis, but you're not hearing the exact numbers. So you kind of, you know, all right, look, we, we, we want to get these open catch and shoot threes. We don't want to shoot long twos, but there's no, like, like you don't need it. Like the why, like you, you kind of, yeah. you, you know, you're, you're good with that. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I don't think a lot of players, need to know the why and or can't even handle the why. So don't even tell them, you know? Yeah. Because um, then they now, get whacked this, out. You know, you don't want to tell the player, like, do not shoot, pull up, jump shots. And then they're wide open for a pull up <laughs> with five seconds to go on the shot clock. It's the only one you're going to get. And then they're whacked out about it. You don't want to whack anybody out. <laughs> yeah. I think that's one of the things that kind of goes uh, over people's heads maybe sometimes. And you just said it best, like, you're trying to get the best shot for the team at the at that moment. So mm-hmm. if you have a long contested two off the dribble that you're kind of open early in the shot clock, it's probably not the best shot. But if you right. get it with seven seconds left against the best defensive team in the league, you got to be firing because that's the yeah. best shot at the time. And that's what stack is all about. So it's not like you're eliminating shots. You're just choosing the best shot for the team at that moment, which is, I think, something that's really important uh, uh, as, yeah, as, you, I mean, as you're coaching and playing. Yeah, and I could imagine as a coach that's difficult because, like I said, um, this game, I mean, is so mental more than anything. And you want to, you want your team to have an understanding of what you're trying to do without limiting them or without putting unnecessary, you know, unnecessary thoughts in their mind. You know, I mean, we're all taught, don't think too much, don't think too much, don't think too much. Yeah. You know, or not taught, I shouldn't say. It's because it's obviously 
thinking becomes a big part of it. So we're clearly right. Well, I think what you're trying to say is, is, yeah, is basketball is such a fast flowing game that your instincts are going to be what what gets you through things, and your instincts can be can be practiced. So if you like you said, coach your family to put you in hostile, crazy situations to improve your instincts. In a, in a game situation, and I think that's if your instincts change to to knowing and practicing what's the best shot and what's not, then you're right. on uh, then you're on the right track. So I, I yeah. think that's uh, kind of what totally. you're, you're getting at there. Yeah, because um, when 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 it hits the fan, everybody's going to fall back on their habits, and you need to make yep. sure those are the right habits for you and for the team. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna completely tangent here because I think. Okay. Uh, we, we we had this talk recently, and I think it was pretty interesting, but you've now been in the league 16 years? Yep. Is that right? 16 years, and I'm, and I'm looking at your stats, and you just completed one of your best seasons yet. Mm-hmm. Um, how? Like, I, I just <laughs> played pickup today for 40 minutes, and I'll probably give you after three days, and we're about to see <laughs> Can you, like, uh-huh. talk about if something's changed in, in your life or – like how yeah. how are you doing this? Um, well, I'll try to make it short. The short of it is that a couple years ago, I like went through this year year and a half span where I had two hip surgeries and a knee surgery. And at that point, I'm like 31, 32, 33ish. And I think the combination of the surgeries and and just how close they were and my age it took a toll on my body. And I wasn't expecting that. Looking back, I'm saying this. I didn't even know it in the moment. I, I don't think I realized the type of toll that was going to take. And it affected me on the court. And it wasn't that, you know, I think a lot of times you see these players get old, you know. Um, and it's not that their skills deteriorate. You know, the skills are the skills. It's that yeah. they physically can't, whether it's the conditioning or the strength or whatever, they just physically can't make it happen. And that's what happened to me. And I think my my conditioning – um, just my strength overall, um, my body, everything wasn't, you know, I thought, oh, the same way I bounced back when I was 26 was going to happen when I was 33. No, that wasn't the case. And so a couple of years ago, um, I just made the conscious decision. I was like, well, how do I want my career to end? You know, like what, am I just going to like fade out the way I, because the way I was playing at the time, that's what would have happened. I just would have been, I would have been a fine, I would have been an okay point guard, but not to the level that I was accustomed you know to being at and so I just was like all right what can I control there's certain things you can control in this little game of of basketball and there's certain things you can't so I was like all right I can control what I eat I can control how I work out I control you know who I surround myself with to get this done and that's what I was trying that's basically what I did so met with a nutritionist you know have a strength coach luckily my head coach here um, is all in with this and all three of those people particularly my head coach and my strength coach, they communicate daily about me. Um, And so every single day and every single workout is based not just for a professional basketball, but for me. You know, I've had now, I've now had, um, God, I think like nine or 10 surgeries overall. Five have been on my left knee. So my left knee is a problem. I have arthritis, name it. So like I can't pound on it. I just can't. I can't go out there and do basketball workouts every day. That's just not a reality. So it took, I think, some tweaking, probably like a year and a half of tweaking to figure it out. But now I, I figured it out. Well, I didn't. They did. <laughs> but it worked. <laughs> and so, um, and I'm really lucky to have that. And so now I've just kind of been on that train. And last season was what I would consider just the results of taking care of myself and, you know, just doing what I need to do to make sure my body was right. And once I didn't have to focus on that, because the two seasons prior to that, every day was like, oh, my God, my knee hurts. Oh, my God, this hurts. Oh, my God, that hurts. And I could feel it in games. I wasn't recovering the way I needed to recover. Once I didn't have to worry about my body, oh, then all I had to think about was basketball. It became enjoyable again. It became not easy, but easier, you know, because yeah. – room constantly that's just a grind it's a grind on your mind more than anything so last year was just a culmination of that and it was uh, enjoying basketball and that kind of you know got me back on on the right track um so yeah hopefully you know at this point at this point i feel like every 
season I play is just a bonus. I feel really lucky to be doing it, so I'm just going to try and keep it going. Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. It's, it's uh, it, it takes a lot of discipline to do what you're saying, and I know um, you talked about the treatment on on your knee and treating your body. Um, so you're at a, a point in your career where you know practice might not be as important as it was 15 to 20 years ago. Um, but what you did do 10 years, you know, five, six years ago was, was, would you, like, if you could go back and talk to Sue Bird, um, at 18 years old, <laughs> what advice about your body? Like, obviously you're, you're in it. You're a professional athlete, but yeah. what would you, what advice could you give to Sue Bird, 18 year old on how to, how to treat yourself? Um, first and foremost, and this is to me the most important thing, um, Everybody can shoot, you know. If you're at a certain level, now I, I, this is me talking to to me, but knowing that I'm probably going to play in college, I'm probably going to play in professional, right? So okay. you're assuming you're at a certain level. Everybody can pass. Everybody can shoot. Everybody can dribble. Okay. Do you want to work on those things? Absolutely. Absolutely. You need to work on those things and advance your game and and add and so forth. You can't do any of those things if you're not in the best shape of your life. The players to me that succeed and can hit the game winner after just playing 40 minutes, those are the players that are in like insane condition. I mean, look at LeBron now. It's like all we hear yeah. about and see his workouts and this and that. But your conditioning, without that, you have nothing. You can limp through. Don't get me wrong. You can limp through. You can like barely make it and feel like crap, but you can do it. But if you're in amazing shape, everything else is easy, or like I said, easier. And so I think I would just tell myself at that age, a reminder, like, although the workouts suck, it's like putting money in your bank. And you need to continually yeah. put the conditioning money in your bank. Because you, when you need to cash out, you know, at, in the last two minutes of a game after a 34-game season, it's the playoffs and whatnot, that's when it kicks in and that's when you're going to need it. So that's really, I mean, to me, that's that's been – that's been the most important thing that has stuck out. Um, yeah, no, that's, you have that's, to be uh, in great shape. That's great. That's, I love it. Uh, I, I might be stealing some of that, some of those lines for our own players and recruits. <laughs> but uh, um, and now talk a little bit about your diet too, because that's changed a little bit over the last couple of years as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's nothing crazy. It was again. I, I met with a nutritionist and. You know, one thing about being a, a female athlete is there's not a lot of literature, um, there's not a lot of science on women. I mean, everything that we know about food even is usually, first of all, you'd be surprised what they don't know, but most of, you know, most of these things, even working out, but we're talking about food right now, um, is based on what a guy did or what a, you know, what a, what a, a male professional athlete has done and the studies on them. And then they're just like, oh yeah, for women too. So luckily, I'm, I work with a nutritionist who is very much about women and their bodies and what's needed. And again, like I said, with my knee, I just needed a lot of um, just anything anti-inflammatory is good for me. So a lot of my diet is based on that, just trying to keep inflammation down at all times, um, which is just good for you regardless. And then, you know, I, basically I said to her, I want an anti-inflammatory diet and I want something that's going to give me energy. She was like, do you care about your six-pack? And I was like, no, I actually don't. Now, is that a nice little byproduct? Absolutely. You know, when you eat right, you get, you, you lean out, you, you know, you're, you're losing fat, you're building muscle because you have this energy. And, and her whole, her whole idea is geared around fueling yourself for working out. You know, I think a lot of people fall into the trap of, oh, I got to eat less to lose weight or to do this or do that. But, you know, what I learned through her was, um, and her name is Dr. Susan Kleiner, what I learned through her was the more I eat, assuming it's the right foods at the right times, the more fuel I'll have and the more I'll burn and the stronger I'll get. You know, I'll be able to go longer, harder, faster. And what, what so, exactly is this, like, just not to get, you know, give us a, a complete nutritionist theory. lesson, but, like, <laughs> what does that mean? Um, I mean, obviously, I don't know. I just do what she tells me, but I do <laughs> so know that. I do know that. Well, I do know that it's not necessarily. I mean, it is what you eat, but it, a big part of it is also when you're eating it. 
so, you know, she, she stresses, um, you know, making sure you eat, you know, if you're going to work out at 10 o'clock, you better make sure you're eating two hours before that. And, you know, if you're going to, if your workout is from 10 to 12, you at 12.01 better be drinking a protein shake. And by, you know, 12.30, you better be eating lunch. And that lunch better, you know, consist of X, Y, and Z. And then, you know, moving forward, um, if it's a game day and you're not playing till 7.30 at night, you know, you just got to make sure you're eating at the right times. And obviously, you know, there's better foods than others. You know, I, I haven't, I, I, I've had more sweet potato in my life the last two years than I probably did the, really? you know, previous 34. Oh, absolutely. It's a good carb, you know. Yeah. Um, and people talk crap about carbs. Carbs are not bad. Carbs are not bad at all. But you have to be working out. They're for working now, out. They're, they're bad how, if you're not working out. <laughs> how do you fit all these eating times in with the, the naps that you also need? Hey. I, <laughs> so we've all heard you talk about your naps. Uh, so talk a little bit about, about sleep, uh, about your sleeping. Um, uh, sleep's so important. Um, sleep's so important. And, you know, it's like, luckily my coach, so here's something that's interesting. Um, Jenny Busek's our current coach. And lucky for, for us, she's just as big on sleep. She actually is the one that, that really um, taught me this one little part. And it's like, I think in our American, in our society, and if you've, if anyone has like gone overseas or lived overseas, you know, like it's not the same way anywhere else. There's something about sleep and napping in America that we view it as lazy. Like, oh, you're taking a nap. I'm pretty sure that's where 90% of my arguments with you came from. And oh, you're taking a nap. <laughs> uh. But in reality, like you need it. <laughs> you actually need it. And um, everything, all of our scheduling throughout a season is based on our sleep. Our flights are picked based on sleep. Our practice times are picked based on sleep. You know, if we have a a game and I don't know, I could paint a million pictures. At the end of the day, it's all based on sleep, particularly our flight yeah. times. Yeah, so we no, never take early morning flights. Yeah, and, Ever. and Ever. you know, just clearly, uh, like sleep is now in the forefront of advanced statistics. Like these things that we're yep. talking about are kind of the next step as as everyone's figured out threes, layups, and mid range. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, threes, layups, and free throws are good. And now it's all right. Well, how can I improve my body? And you're yep. kind of you're ahead of the game in that. Um, and you know, it does go back to our argument about how hard you're working and. For years, you've you've sworn to me that your naps on your game days <laughs> count as you work in absolutely thirteen-hour days, which it's a is a little ridiculous. But we've had that argument enough that I just want to share with the audience. It's part of your job. It's part of your job. So um, <laughs> I, you, you did mention um, overseas, and I want to just briefly mention uh, talk about that. So. You've now played in Russia. You haven't you haven't played the last couple of years, but you spent yeah. how many years? Ten years in ten years playing ten in Russia. Years. Yeah, ten years. years playing in Russia in the off season, which a lot of people don't know is you finish WNBA and then you're pretty much over there a little break and then you're over there until pretty much WNBA starts again. Uh, yeah. Where are they at in terms of advanced statistics? Is it the oh, same or where are they at? You know, I shouldn't I shouldn't comment necessarily because I haven't been there in three years, but I doubt they're anywhere near it. It's just not the same. <laughs> I, I I can't. I'm, who knows on the men's side, but I don't think the women's side. Other than the fact that they now have there's a lot more coaches um, from a you know there, there there's Australian coaches there and American coaches, so I'm sure they bring some of it, but I, I don't think it's anywhere near it. Um, no, it's nowhere near. The only thing I will say, I don't know if I've told you this or not. Um, the best part about playing in Russia, and you're totally going to appreciate this as another point guard, on the stat sheet, this was the best thing. It was like points, rebounds, yada, yada, same, same, field goal percentage. And then it had assists, and right next to it, it had another column, assist attempts. I was like, yes. I was made to play in Russia. This is freaking amazing. So you'd finish a yes. game, you'd be like, oh, I had seven assists. I had 21 assist attempts. Oh, come on, guys. <laughs> And that is, you know, that is something on the on the coaching side that any, you know, the the NBA guys who track every stat you can ever think of, that is a really right. important one because obviously you might have the same path to someone and you don't get the same credit. Where in reality, you driving, kicking someone in the corner for a wide open shot, you've done the same exact thing, whether it goes in or not, should not have any effect on whether you made a good play or not. So right, I remember you yeah. told me that years ago, and I was like, yeah, I thought I did. Poof, I like, <laughs> oh, that is awesome. Yeah, I should It was awesome. That. 
Um, so, yeah, that's something that they've had and that we still don't see in the box score, but you will see that in an advanced box score, especially in the NBA, and mm-hmm. uh, they don't have that at our levels yet. Uh, but it is something that is important for guards. And Is there any other stat that you've, you know, heard or felt that, like, you did well that might not be tracked that either the NBA um, does it or you feel like, you know what, nobody really understands what I'm doing here, but I do it well. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, we're getting into that whole world of, like, you know, quantifying these things that can't be. And it's like, I mean, I I know as a player now, because mainly because people tell me, I don't know that I'm, but there's a difference. You know, I think one of the best compliments I ever received was actually from uh, from another point guard in the WNBA, uh, Courtney Vandersloot. We were just having like a candid conversation. We were being interviewed for something. And she said, she was like, you know, to me, like, if I watch a game and you're playing, she's like, I know when you're on the court and there's a difference when you're not. And it had nothing to do with points, rebounds, assists, nothing. You know, it's just a flow. It's, 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 it's basically flow players. You have flow players and you have flow killers, you know, and we can name names for sure. sure. We don't need to do that. But it's like, you know, there are certain players when they're out there, they just kill the flow. And then there are certain players out there that are making the flow happen. And that's something that I would love for there to be a stat. I don't know how, because it's not, it's more than the hockey assist, you know? It goes beyond. Yeah, and it's, it's more than plus minus too. It's it's yeah, uh, absolutely. It, it's it's the presence, and that is something that like if you could almost pull players on the court, are you more comfortable now, or you know, then you might be able to find something. But uh, I totally agree that like a team, especially their point guard, um, can kind of be a settling effect on everybody out there, and that is that's yeah. something we got to think about how to measure that. Uh, that's besides just plus minus and or what you said, um, you know, with with uh, hockey assist or something like that. But that that is an interesting one. So just the eye um, test, you just know. <laughs> you yeah, know? I know. Know when it's happening, you know, happening, you know when it's not. Advanced statistics tries to eliminate the eye test, uh, and and it, like your intuition, like you said, your intuition of the eye test or somebody watching you is that you have it. And that's what we're trying to get to. And, and it's taken, you know, years and years to, to make improvements, but we're mm-hmm. trying to find how to measure those those things that Coach Oriana had, those things that you have. Like, right. well, we got to somehow measure them so we can – I mean, I guess we don't have to, but it, it'd be nice to measure them so you could actually value your your effect because, you know, you can run down your bio. It's pretty damn good. And, and, uh, and, and that, I guess that's a measure right there for it. Uh, <laughs> years later. Sports. Yeah, years later. Yeah, it is. Years it's later. hard. I mean, you talk yeah. about recruiting. I, I know that, you know, now uh, my coach works have um, closely with Kevin Pelton, who writes for ESPN.com. He's a Seattle guy, and he's big into the numbers. And she'll try to do it for free agents. She'll try to figure it out for draft picks. And he has, like, certain equations he's able to put together that can measure, you know, or predict, I should say, how successful yeah. a player may or may not be. And she uses those. That's, I mean, that's why we pick who we pick and sign who we sign. It's almost, right. it's not right. solely based on that. Cause I think, I mean, Grant, I get that this is a whole stat, um, whole stat chat here, but I think at the end of the day, what will probably end up being found throughout all this is the stats are important. They're crucial. I think people who ignore them are just being idiots. Um, but they're not everything. You know, I think, like Houston Rockets, I think is the best example. At the end of the day, you're still going to need people to make plays that go outside of that box to win games. Right. You just are. You just are. You can't oh, be yeah. James Harden and like ten Shane Battiers. That's just it's just not going to work. You need a mix. Now, can it be you know your game plan? Absolutely. But stats go out the window, and I argue this with people all the time. It's like when it's just one play, when it's just one play. If you were a betting person, like if you were betting on the game, and I told you, here's this one play, late game, two seconds left, this is the scenario, yeah, there are percentages, and I would probably bet based on those percentages, but that doesn't mean anything in that game. It just doesn't. It just doesn't. You know, you foul people who shoot 40% late in the game, and then what do they do? They step up and make both. (laughs) You know, it happens all the time. Or you foul the 90% guy, and he misses both. So it's like, to me – it's like kind of like that whole money ball thing. Like they got to the playoffs, but then what happened when it's just one game? 
So it's like yeah. at the end of the day, it's it's important. It gets you there, but you still need your money makers. You still need your best players who can do it all. I, I'm uh, I agree and I disagree. So I, agree <laughs> I knew you would. <laughs> you knew I would, and this is this is good. I, I agree in that stats are not everything. So you have to you have to make a play. Like if if you're a forty percent shooter, it doesn't mean you're a robot that you're going to make. You know, four to ten. Right. It just means over the long run, you're going to be forty percent sure. So you still have right. to find a way to put yourself in the best position to get a forty percent shot, and then hopefully knock it down, or you know, make a play late in the game because uh, your team needs you to make a play. Like that to me, and that's why I love the coaching side of it. Being a player is that I played, so I understand that stats isn't everything, but. On the flip side, I think the more, and you, you said it best, you can't ignore it, but I think on the flip side, the more you know and the more you can learn about what works and what doesn't over the long run will help mm-hmm. your decision-making, one, as a coach, but also what you stress your players, which then will help your players uh, pick that up and, and execute it for their best interest because it will be oh, the no, best totally play they can do. So I think I, stats I think can get you there. I think stats can get you there. They can get you. They can get you to like the playoffs. They can get you to the championship game. They can get you, you know, to I don't know the conference championship, whatever it is. They can get you there. Right. But I don't know that it's always going to win it just because the stats say you're better than that team, or just because you know what I'm saying. Yeah, and that's why we play the game. That's why. That's why we exactly. love basketball so much because right. we can learn. So to have, and, and, yeah. Right. So that's so my only argument is to have your entire, you know, like I, I Shane Battier to me is the best example because I've done a bunch of panels with him and he's so intriguing because he really played to it and he he jokes like he never took twos outside the paint, like yeah. even if the shot he said like one season with the Heat he took one two outside the paint one two <laughs> because and it's only because Dwayne Wade like got caught in the air. And it was like three, two, one on the shot clock, and pass it to him, and he just had to like hot potato it up, and he was like pissed. He's like, ah, and he doesn't take the half court shots and all that. And I get why Shane Battier, in his role, bought into that and did that. But I do think that I just, I just do think when it comes down to the game, the last game, the championship, it's dangerous to solely rely on that. You know, that's yeah, all. Yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you. That's actually a good, uh, good, good semi argument to to end on. Um, I want to thank you again. This was this was fun. This was uh, this was great. I appreciate you yeah, helping thanks. me out and helping the audience out to learn a little bit about uh, the WNBA and, and uh, hopefully people learned a little bit about you and, and stats and, and how it works yeah, at absolutely. your level. But uh, long live, I appreciate long it. live the mid range game. Long live the mid range game. <laughs> yeah, that's where I made fun. my that's that's my meat and potatoes. So don't take it away just yet. <laughs> <laughs> you, do, you do pretty well being efficient from three and layups. Uh, that's pretty good. You I'm may not practice as much anymore. Go check but, your but, yeah, I don't have that stat in front of me. I just have <laughs> your field goal percentage. No. It's pretty good. It's just pretty good. Yeah, it's so. all right. It's all right. No, but thank you for having me. I was I was happy to do it. It was fun. Great, great. Well, thanks again, Sue, and I'm sure I'll see you see you eventually soon. Yeah, yeah. Sounds good, Dave. All Thank right. Bye bye. <laughs> All right. Bye bye.